0: So with case four, we move into another topic that is dear to me, and that is uh, reading and reading practices in the Renaissance. And this is looking largely at those books we know Shakespeare read and consulted, used for his plays, while also broadening that lens to consider uh, the wider kinds of media available to him, the kinds of books that he have likely encountered, and how that may or may not have um, informed his work. I start with certain key works, one of them being Hollinshed's Chronicles. Hollinshed's Chronicles, uh, at 3.5 million words, was the largest history of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales to that point in time. It went from projected beginnings all the way up to 1587, partway into Elizabeth's reign. It came under censorship. It's fascinating work in so many ways. Um, But it's the work that Shakespeare went to regularly. All the history plays he uses it for, as well as parts of Lear, Macbeth, and others. That was central. And I surround that with other uh, books like The Mirror for Magistrates and so on, which are other historical works that he, he turned to. The equivalent for Hollandshed for Shakespeare's engagement with ancient Rome was Plutarch. And in Plutarch's Lives of the uh, Greeks and Romans, famous work which had been translated into French by a man named Amiot was then translated into English based on Ammiot's edition by, by North. Norse Plutarch, as it's often referred to, first published 1579, again in 95, was what Shakespeare went to for plays like Julius Caesar, for Anthony and Cleopatra, for Coriolanus. And what's fascinating about Plutarch versus Hollinshed, Hollinshed r- r- raids chronologically. We move from one reign to the next. With Plutarch, it's about lives. So if you're in the life of Julius Caesar, you might have a reference to Anthony. If you're in the life of Anthony, you might have a reference to Julius Caesar. So Shakespeare is constantly going in and out of all of these sections, taking one thing, modifying another, and then ignoring whole decades. And I love this sense of him and imagining Shakespeare at his desk, working with these books, pulling, exerting, indexing, carving, and then just imagining, as he often does. And so the way I see those cases as is as a kind of desk, a place where we go and imagine the kinds of books that were before Shakespeare. Hollinshed's there, Plutarch's there, so are key works like Ovid. Ovid's a work he went to for a countless number of plays. We think of Pyramus and Thisbe for Midsummer Night's Dream. We think of Philomel for Titus Andronicus and The Rape of Lucrece. We think of the myth of Phaeton for Richard II. He was regularly turning to Golding's Ovid, but Ovid was everywhere in Renaissance culture, and so the book we've chosen here has wonderful engravings, including an image of Phaeton falling, which ties into Richard II. So we imagine that desk with Plutarch, Hollinshed, Ovid, and of course the Bible, which Shakespeare alludes to all the time. And he worked with all the editions available in English, from the Geneva to the bishops, We think later the King James, as well as some of the earlier ones, and even the Catholic uh, printings. Bible, Ovid, Plutarch, holinshed what else could be there? I started to think about those other works that were so commonplace that they had to have been in his hands at some point or another. I'm not sure how he used them, but I wanted them to be there too. So two of my favorite books in this case, one is an almanac from 1635, after Shakespeare's, but but looks very much like the almanacs available at the time. He was alive, one of only two copies that survives, and beside that, an equally rare book, a prayer book, small, beautifully bound in uh, gold-tooled binding, also one of two surviving copies. How did these books feature into his life? How do we mix, then, those learned sources we know he went to with the everyday that would have been around him?